Hello and welcome back to the Comic Literate Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, and mangas. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my invincible co-host is Jamie. What's good, my G? I was struggling. Well, I didn't bother to look up an adjective <laughs> for you this time. So. so you borrowed one from the title. I mean, it's a tie-in kind Poor of thing, workmanship. Isn't it? Sloppy workmanship. Zero out of five stars. Literally unusable. Yeah, but in terms of SEO, it's, <laughs> it's, it's prime. It's exactly what we needed. And also, we don't know if you're not invincible. You're not invulnerable. That's, I think that's the difference. Because invulnerable is like you can't be hurt in any way. If you'd have asked me this question... In my early 20s, I would have agreed with you that the jury was still out on it. Now I'm going to live forever. As a 31-year-old man who is audibly recovering from a minor cold that has taken me a week to get over, I can quite safely say I'm probably not invincible. Yeah, but like my dad used to say when he took us on the motorway for holidays, did you die? Like, well, I, not yet, no. But... Then you might be invincible. We might, <laughs> we might all be invincible. That's the point. And it's kind of the theme of the of this week's comic uh, that we'll be getting into. I mean, not really. <laughs> it's kind of also just a name. Like, it's a bit of a name. But yes, we are doing one that I've been looking forward to for a while. To the point where I think when we were first conceiving of this a whole oh, God, project. Don't call it that. When we when we mutually conceived. <laughs> when we birthed this podcast. I don't even remember the conversation that led to this podcast now. You, I just kidnapped you at one point and then you woke up in the chair with the microphone in front of you. In and my I, own and home. I, and you I kidnapped did the, <laughs> me and took me home. And I did the first intro and you were just, you you know, you, when you're kind of groggy waking up from chloroform, where yeah. you're kind of like, oh, and you just go along with whatever's happening. No, Ryan, I don't know that. I've not had that experience. <laughs> Never been chloroformed, except for apparently that one time. No, so you don't know you've had that experience. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the clever part. It's the joy of chloroform. I just started the first <laughs> intro and you went, oh yeah, I'm glad to be. <laughs> yeah, really lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And if you're if you're listening at home and you ever want to start a podcast, just kidnap a random member. Of don't do that. That's <laughs> terrible advice. Legally, we have to say don't do that. No, morally and ethically, <laughs> we have to say don't do that. Morally and ethically, you know, for the sponsors, we have to say don't do that. But if you are going to kidnap some somebody, make sure it's your most interesting friend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you can, or the one who's least likely to report you to the police. Oh, that was me, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You had nothing else going on (laughs) at the time. All right, good bit of banter. Hey, a little bit of of banter to get us going. And like I said, it was a title that I was already thinking of when we first started this, because this is one of my favorite comics of all time. I think we're coming up to our first full year of doing this. This is the 40th episode? No, it's not. It's 41st. Don't ask me to count things. Yeah, but we've not we've not actually managed. No, we have. We've not missed a week, have we, since we started. But we didn't start uploading for about two months before. Yeah, we wanted to just bank them first and then worry, worry about the technical stuff later. Well, I mean, I think we were still making decisions about whether or not it was interesting enough to show <laughs> other people, weren't we? Let's record several hours worth <laughs> of episodes and then we'll commit to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I reckon we've been doing this for about 48 weeks now. So we are literally... Coming it, up to a year, if not it already It was at some it. point last November that we started doing this. I mean, I guess we started releasing what february i mean i'd have to check the stats but you know we released around that time i think it might yeah i don't remember anymore well as i said one of my favorite comics of all time so i'm excited <laughs> back That's, to the comic it's back to comic before we got to the comic yeah absolutely but it's one of my favorites i'm eager to get your your opinion on it okay but 
little bit. The preamble up top is Invincible, uh, the 2003 uh, ongoing, so no longer ongoing, but it was ongoing for quite a few years, 10 plus years at the very least. Um, a significant impact on the superhero genre, I believe. Really? Yep. And for being one that was outside of the big two. So yeah. this was this was one of the ones that not revitalized Image, the, the publisher, because Image had some good stuff going on beforehand. But this, as we'll get into another title written by the same author, kind of at the same time got people like, oh, this is one of the best publishers now. Are we being coy about who wrote this? Oh, well, I'm about to get into it. It was written it. by Robert Kirkman, right? Robert the Kirkman. bloke who did The Walking Dead. Who I've got to say, I think at this point, I have to put up there's one of my favorite Goated. writers. Uh, Invincible, um, Walking Dead, obviously. Uh, I also liked another one he did called Outcast, which was like a thing about possession and making that like a action thriller kind of thing. Am I right in saying he wrote a few storylines for Saga as well? I think him and Brian K. Vaughan, because they're both Image, I yeah, think yeah. they like swapped or something. So I yeah. think Brian K. Vaughan took over whatever he was doing at the time, which might have been this, might have been Walker Dead, might have been... But they guessed know. it on each other's stuff a little bit, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Again... If if somebody actually knows, comicliterate at gmail.com. I'll do a know. bit of Googling while we're, we're getting into stuff. Oh, if I, you can I, talk for an extended time, I'll do some secret Googling. Do you know what, Ryan? I might be able to talk <laughs> for an extended time. Play into your wheelhouse here. <laughs> but it's uh, written by Robert Kirkman, who actually went on to become the editor-in-chief of Image Comics. Yeah, he really did work up the ranks there, didn't he? I think they were just like, you are one of our most famous writers. Yeah, no, it's... I'm not... We I'm... need an editor-in-chief. Do you want to do it? And he was like, it's literally my dream. Yeah, so nothing th- negative. Like, he wrote a couple good... Well, he wrote one very, very good comic book. I'd say two. I would put it at two. Mm. Well, you haven't got into it yet. Go like... This is so we are only covering the first two volumes. Yeah. And that's one of the places to start is that this is it, to describe it to you who's not read this before, the point we're at now, there's significant things happening, but this is still very much in the shire of the entire yeah, invincible. Right, okay. Like we are we've not started at all. I love that I love that um Lord of the Rings has become so entrenched in our national consciousness. I think it's the go-to like big epic story like a yeah. sprawling story the did you know he was trying to create a new mythology for the british i mean he kind of did well he kind of did yeah he was kind of successful but that was what he was trying to do with it he was trying to create a new mythology for us and it's so so interesting that like for you to say oh we're still in the shire mm. i know exactly what that means without you having to reference mm. anything else about lord of the rings i mean you especially do well, I yeah think <laughs> maybe yeah it's that's, impressive that's a, that a lot of other people who may not be as in the weeds with like literature and nerd culture they would also understand that so it's significant in that way but yeah, written by Robert Kirkman and illustrated by, and I've got down here the two names, yeah. did half and half of the volumes we did. So one, that we had Corey Walk, who did the first volume, yeah. childhood friend of Robert Kirkman's. Right, okay. And then we've got Ryan Otley, who is more of a, was a staff writer, I think, who got bought in for this. Cool. But what's interesting is, uh, you know it very first, like, I suppose the first place to get into it is the art. The first I thing we did see. did not much like the art. So the reason that's interesting is and I, I as a massive fan as this is one of my favorites yeah. the art is probably one of the least important parts of it so i can i'm like i'm not like defending the art like i i think it does the job for me it's the writing was the prime so thing. it didn't have any of that ramita junior jank i think it it if it did or if anyone thinks it did it's a consistent style like, yes this is yeah, how yeah, yeah no there was there was nothing like inherently i'm really sorry i'm recovering from a cold so if i just sound a little bit husky in this episode just dear listener, know that I'm doing it just for you. Um, and if I sound husky, it's because that's how I sound all the time. <laughs> uh, 
Um, there was, yeah, there was nothing like inherently janky about it. It was just uninspiring. Mm. Um, like there was nothing in the color palettes that they were using that really grabbed me. There was nothing in any of the character models that I thought was particularly unique or interesting. It really screamed to me that some this was Robert Kirkman's opportunity to write a superhero comic. Yep. And he was trying to make it look like a DC comic. It looks like a DC comic to me. And you know how I feel about DC's uh, house style. Mm. Like, I don't like it. I would say as someone who's a bit more used to and well acquainted with those art styles... I would disagree on that, but I can see why you would think that, if that makes sense. Like, I think You'd agree. Only because I think I've seen, I've read so much DC and Marvel and this. Like, this is, this is, I need to find out, like, how long this actually ran. It's it 144 in, issues. Yeah, 28, 2003 to 2018, so literally 15, 15 years. 15 years, yeah. So I had a big experience of this art style. So for me, it, it feels like a separate to Marvel and DC, because yeah. I'm so entrenched in And it. I suppose we have to tackle the art twice, because there's two distinct artists. Yes. And and before I before I realised that there were two artists, I was on about issue five and went, "Oh, this looks a bit crisper." Yes. <laughs> and so I think the second artist who drew it, I think he adopted the style essentially. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But again, I don't want to say better because there was nothing wrong with it. Like it didn't it didn't scream out as bad art. It was just uninspiring and i think and i think because we've read so many great indie titles particularly the past month doing the horror stuff mm. where oh no more spooky season anymore no more can't, spooky can't season. do the voice because we're out of it now. <laughs> um that's illegal <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people bring we're out, firmly into november when people bring out the christmas stuff before halloween it's like ah, hold hold on hold <laughs> on like give it give it a week come on um so yeah, there was nothing like inherently bad about it. It was just uninspired. So there might be an explanation for that. And we'll see what I'll see what you think. I'll tell you the rough story. I watched a YouTube video about this from a person I recommended to you. Uh does like kind of long form videos about comic books, which naturally found its way into my Well, yeah, that my makes recommended. Sense. Uh, but does great stuff. I think his name's Matt. I think it's literally just like Matt. I will bring it up just to just to Hi confirm. Matt. But um Thank you. Basically, he did this video, which kind of showed me uh, what it was about. Ryan's just managing his social life during podcast time here. So I'm just going to fill some dead air so that he can't edit this out, just so you, the listener, can learn how unprofessional he is. I'm so... I dead air anyway. <laughs> I'm... No, no, you don't get to do this to me. Not when I'm having fun. Not when I'm, just... Not when I'm addressing the listeners directly. Because I'm so professional, Ryan, that I don't even know where my phone is right now. <laughs> that's very good professor so there's a a youtuber whose name is matt with four t's yeah so it's just but he does really good in-depth comic book no long wait, form comic so book is it videos. matt that is written with four t's or is his name matt with four t's because matt with four t's is great uh just literally written matt with four oh, t's matt. but it's a lowercase m like he's not put any capitals in there so that's like interesting for youtube Oh, could, oh, I don't know. I don't know if you can feel that through the podcast, guys. But I'm squirming. <laughs> so, him intentionally misspelling his name—that's fine. For the lack of a capital letter, that's where you draw the line. Yeah, I'm a fucking grammarian. You know these things about me, Ryan. Why do you do this every week? That was unintentional. There, but I, like, there, Jamie. But I enjoyed there, it anyway. There. But I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, he wrote a video, and it was uh, called "How Did a Broke Comic Book Shop Clerk Build a Million Dollar a Billion Dollar uh, Comic Book Empire." 
basically Robert Kirkman started this with his childhood friend. They yeah. were both big comic fans. Kirkman can't draw for shit. So he's yeah, like, yeah. I'll do the writing then. And his friend could actually draw. So they were drawing these comics, trying to get them to image. And they were, I think, picked up a bit. They doing um uh, a title for a short time. I can't remember the name of it, but they did a short time. Then they did Invincible. They were like, yeah. "This now this is our superhero one. And the problem was the artist, the original uh, artist, who I'll go back on. Corey. Corey. Corey Walker. Basically what happened is, and I think this is both sides kind of version of events, was he couldn't quite handle the sudden demand for a monthly comic. Mm. Like a one person doing a comic by yourself. Exactly. So that might be why the simplistic nature of the art was him just kind of trying to just like to get it out. Let me just try and do something that I can do actually yeah. do once a month. And again I reiterate, everything looks fine. Like there was a what there was one point where I was reading it and I went, Oh, he's not even shaded this and then I looked down at the next panel. And the panel that hadn't sh- been shaded was like a landscape of the school. And then I went, oh, well, he probably hasn't shaded it because it's in full light and it would be a lot of effort to work out where the light source was, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of looked at the next panel that was set inside and he had picked, I mean, do you know what I mean when I say picked a light source? Like from where the shadows or the direction the shadows Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. decided where his light was coming from. Like basic bread and butter artist stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... Again, like this isn't this isn't like the ones or um Ramita Jr.'s Spider Man one run where the art was so egregious it took me out of things. Mm. I just found it a little one size fits all, a little bit plain, a little bit passe maybe. Um and I kind of felt as though if this had had a really defined, strong, unique art style, it would have been a much more effective text overall. Mm. It would have really cemented it as kind of Kirkman's examination of com- of superhero stories and the way they work in the same way that The Walking Dead, I think, benefits from having a really defined, strong art style. Hmm. Like the black and white thing serves it so well and it looks so good on the page. Yeah. They re-released it in colour recently. Oh, I know, and- they always fucking do, don't they? And do you know what? Doesn't look very good. I'm sorry. It doesn't I don't, look as good. Like I, I, I don't I don't think I don't uh, yeah, I mean they probably got a really great colorist in on it. Yeah. But it's meant to look like it's meant to look like the original um Night of the Living Dead in yeah. black and white. Like that it harkens back to that to the first of the genre. So. Yeah, it just it yeah, The Walking Dead looked great. And again, to say that well one thing that Robert Kirkman did has a really great art style in this doesn't, the common factor there is the writer, not the artist. And so I, d- I don't think it's a fair comparison. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I, I think that this would have benefited from a slightly more striking art style. It's also possible that for the time, this could have been that striking art style, or at least it could have been like better by comparison to what was happening at the time. So 2003. Like- we have read some stuff from the early noughties. Here I think, for this podcast. Yeah, I think the, the biggest one was probably when we the first episode Wide Last Man because that started like which looks soon great, after. <laughs> which looks great. Yeah, but again, I th- I think the biggest thing is probably the the artist situation at the time and not being able yeah. to continue with it. And 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 again, I suppose this is this is kind of one of those instances where the context helps, mm. but I am reading a text. Yeah. Um, I'm not buying into a story, I'm reading a text. And so the fact that the art wasn't as strong, I definitely feel it it detracts. Yeah. It's possible that part of it could have been the they were trying to just appeal like this to is a, that audience. Yeah, yeah. Like this is 
your standard cool superhero story, but Kirkman knew I'm doing some interesting stuff after. And it's not till seven issues that you really kind of start breaking the mold and doing, you know, surprising the audience. Yes. So I think part of it, this is pure speculation on my part, that you might have started to be like, let's make them seem, let's make the audience think it's a standard fun superhero uh, comic and let's get that standard art style, but then we'll draw them in with the story. And 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 I and I do definitely have a sense that everything I read of this up until the one moment that we're going to talk about a lot, I imagine, happens. Mm. We I am reading like I'm basically seeing the establishing shots in a movie. We're in the Shire. I think that was, the way you described it was a really was really apt. Yeah. Um. It was laid out well though. <laughs> like it, mm. it looked good. Just what 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 the art was lacking. I think the way that that art was laid out made up for to a certain degree. Like it scans really well, paced. I think especially well. Yeah, but yeah. No, it is paced quite well, isn't it? Um, did you get to the part with the joke about the reused panels? No, I can't remember. If, I think it might be just that. I read a little bit after after yeah, yeah. Uh, you did, and there's a part where Mark, uh, the main character, is speaking to his favorite comic book artist. So it's very like there's a running theme that Mark is a comic book fan. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's sat on the can reading one yeah. really early on, isn't it? So it's pretty meta in that way. And he's talking to this uh, comic writer or artist. Yeah. I think a writer. And it might be a real writer in the world, like right, maybe an image <laughs> writer that, potentially. That would be pretty dope. And the joke is that something they had been doing a few times in the issues leading up to is repeating panels. So like the same panel again Most a couple of times. Most notably when Mark's asleep and we get two full pages of the same panel. Exactly. But used to great effect. And used that was actually effect. a narrative device that I was going to come on to mm. and talk about how much I liked that. I thought that was really clever. Well, what's especially good is they kind of hang a lantern on it in a funny way. Yeah, that's cool. What happens is Mark literally says to the guy, he says, don't you think it's a bit lazy reusing the same? No, no. He says something like, oh, I like how you reuse the same panels. And the writer goes, um, oh, yeah, that's kind of like a cost cutting thing. Like it's, it's quicker and easier yeah. just to repeat the same panel a few times for a page. And Mark goes, well, won't people notice that like, you're doing <laughs> it too much? And he literally does three panels of Mark asking that to sides. And then the writer, three panels just staring at him, just goes, Nah. <laughs> so it's a good joke. That's really funny. And Robert Kirkman is quite funny. Yes. I mean, that, this is, it's not like laugh out loud funny, but it is like, it makes me feel like the characters are real. Like, you know, they joke with each other and it's stuff. It's quietly funny. Yes. It's exactly. quite, I, I think there's, there's two really fun reoccurring jokes that I enjoyed. Mm. One of them is Mark and the other super. Everyone thinks that they're dating. Yeah. And that keeps coming up in like progressively more embarrassing ways for them. Mm. And so, every, you know, everybody keeps telling Mark, oh, she's dating somebody else. And he goes, I know I'm not. That's not why I'm interested. And then everyone at school starts to think they're dating. Because even, but especially back in 2003 and even still to a bit today, a man and a woman, a straight man and woman cannot plutonically be friends without everyone assuming there's something going on. Do you know who Miyazaki is? Uh, yes. No, I I know Amy Azaki is probably a different one. The Studio Ghibli guy. Oh, uh, yeah, it might be the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Studio Ghibli guy. Yeah. He did a whole thing where he said that just because a man and a woman appear in a text together, it doesn't mean they have to be romantically involved. Mm. And you'll notice that a lot of the times when he introduces a strong male and female protagonist, they're not. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really big thing of his that he actually really loves exploring platonic relationships between people of oppos- opposite genders. Not that the idea of opposite gender really functionally exists anymore. Well, it does, but just in the minds of bigots. 
Um, and a social construct. And a social construct, yeah. But, so yeah, I, 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 fa- I found the exploration of that, the quiet exploration of that idea to be quite fun, mm. particularly for 2003. Yeah. You know, before we move on from that, what I thought you might find interesting, apparently yeah. a lot of Gen Z content consumers, for lack of a better term, but film and TV mainly, this is in reference to, they're not as much of a fan of like gratuitous sex scenes. Yeah. And originally I think that was coming back from like, it got to a point where at one point sex scenes were important in film and TV because that was the main place that you were going to get them from. Yes. Now with the internet and online pornography and everything, now it's people look at it as like, well, I don't need this anymore. So it, if, it feels weird when it's gratuitously put in yeah. for no reason. That makes but, sense. I mean, but, I think that's a good positive but, trend. But now that's now stretching out to love interests. So like when characters are kind of forced into, or not forced into, but you know what I mean? Like when they're written into like, well, now there's something going, like, will they, won't they? And a lot of the Gen Z people are like, why can't they just plutonically be like friends, friends or, you know, whatever the, fr- like detective partners or whatever. And again, that was used as a way to keep people coming back to weekly episodic TV, wasn't it? I mean, it? the famous ones, obviously like Cheers, Friends, uh, the original one, I think, like one of the biggest original ones was Moonlighting with yeah. Bruce Willis, one yeah. of his early ones. Um, but what? Yeah, but like, even but even stuff from this era, like Bones, had it. Yeah, yeah. The will they won't they thing? How I Met Your Mother had it about four times and with that was, different characters, and that was the established plot. Like, I mean, that was done quite knowingly. Yeah, and I think I think they was they were kind of subverting that trope a little bit there. But it's played out, isn't it? It's kind of hacky. Exactly. I and this is this is why Gen Z are kind of rebelling against it uh, the X Files. Uh, big one. Yeah, Scully and Mulder. Scully and Mulder. I mean, in fairness... Most people say Mulder and Scully. It's, yeah. it's fascinating that you did not go that <laughs> route. Um, which one's Scully and which one's Mulder? I think Mulder is uh, David Duchovny, and I think Scully Scully's is... Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson, who which both is, are mate. Both which is why I went for Scully first, because Gillian Anderson goated. Yes. Gillian Anderson is the G. She is a fucking legend. I will not have a bad word spoken about her in my presence. She's great in uh, sex education. She's fucking amazing in sex education. Tell you what she's really good in, and it made me have some really complicated feelings. Hannibal as well, but... The Crown? Oh, I haven't seen that. Well, so she plays Margaret Thatcher, (laughs) right? And like, on the one hand, I'm looking at Gillian Anderson, who is a... If, if, you don't, if you're listening and you don't know who Gillian Anderson is, she's a British actor. She is a profoundly beautiful woman. Great American accent. Great American accent. Just any, all accent work. Like her accent work in general is fucking phenomenal. Mm. Um, and so I'm watching this incredibly detailed, really nailed on portrayal of Margaret, Margaret Thatcher. But I'm also looking at Gillian Anderson <laughs> and it's like, this is something I love and something I hate at the same time, and I don't know how to feel. <laughs> it's, it's the mark of a good actor. When... <laughs> it really is. Like, she fucking transcended herself in that role to play the most awful human being. Did you notice they used, the, like, so, there's a character in this called Thatcher? I didn't know, but go on. There's a character in this called Mrs. Thatcher, and it really took me out of it for a moment. And then I had to remember oh, this wasn't written by a British person. Because if you're a British person now, you probably wouldn't call a character Mrs. Thatcher because of all of the connotations that are associated with that in British culture. But obviously, because this was written by a couple of Americans, like that's just the name to them, isn't it? Plus, as British people, we can't say the name Thatcher without spitting. So, oh yeah, or violently shitting ourselves, depending on <laughs> exactly. which part of the country you're from. <laughs> exactly. 
In the south, we spit. Up north, it's much more. I was going to say, I was about to say, and if you're listening right now, guess which one we're done. But (laughs) guess which way we've gone. (laughs) So back to the comic. Yeah, back to the comic. (laughs) But no, so yeah, I really really liked some of the storytelling devices that were happening Mm. here. I loved the relationship between his mum and dad. Well, I mean, first and foremost, as just like an encompassing thing, Kirkman writes characters so well. Like, possibly one of the best in comics. Like, we we are fans of other comic book artists who I think have different strengths in different places. Yeah. Like, prime example, I think Alan Moore is great at those bigger, <laughs> bigger encompassing stories yeah. that span across, like, entire societies or that, you know, that kind of thing. Like, are we still doing the Alan Moore count? I mean, we we fucked him when we missed him for a week, so... I, th- I don't think we've actually spoken about Alan Moore for a few weeks now. Well, he's going to come in an hour eventually, kind of like a ghost of presence, you know. He's, <laughs> he's always here to some degree. He materializes sometimes from his wizard's cove. If you talk about comics, he appears. And if, <laughs> but if you're talking about Marvel or DC, he then violently shits himself. Yeah, or if you're talking about his comics, <laughs> he shits himself. <laughs> and then calls you a man, baby. <laughs> liking them. Once again, Alan, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> oh, it would be honestly, I would be honored. I would be so honored to speak with you. We'd have to pack in afterwards. But yeah, so different artists have different strengths. I think yeah. Kirkman's especially is interpersonal relationships between characters. And yeah. dialogue is a natural, you know, successor of that as well. Yeah, and I think something that he really excels at, and something that I'm actually quite excited about going on from this with Mark's dad, mm. is that he excels at writing complex villains who aren't just good or evil they are complex human beings who do things for human reasons i sus- negan being a really great example yeah i suspect that he kind of has a bit of the so i heard this and this is probably a common thing amongst some writers but i heard it especially with george rr R. martin which is he the way he writes he says he makes the characters and he makes he kickstarts the situation but then he he feels compelled to write in the way that he would think the characters would act. So he can steer them, and he can put, but if he puts them in a situation, it's like, I'm not going to have them do something different to their character yeah. because it serves the story. And it's why his characters are so strong and defined. Yeah. Like, and again, that never really translated to the screen. If you want a really, really great, interesting, complex villain, like Littlefinger in the books mm. is fascinating he did start out that like pre-season six like he was when it was directly lifted from the books he was a very fascinating uh villain but like kirkman i think he made the point i heard him talking about um walking dead yeah it's spoilers for walking dead it's been out for ages blah blah blah. when he chose to kill off andrea in the comic oh god that was a much bigger thing than in the tv show because in the tv show they killed her off like way earlier yeah, yeah, yeah so in the comics she was a much more big established character she was married to robert kirk she was married to <laughs> I was say, she's married to kirkman that's uh no 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 she, was, she like... was married to the main dude uh yeah the end, um she? rick rick yeah so he talked about it and he is said it? rick grimes yes rick grimes of course he, it is. he got to a point where he felt oh i need to kill her off like mm. it's, it, the story's just heading in that direction yeah. And he didn't want to, like he'd grown attached to the character well, of course, yeah. and he felt sad that having to, again, like, even though he didn't want to do it, he was like, but it's where the story has to go. Yeah. So, so I think he's a bit like that. Like he, he, the characters need to go in a certain way based on who they are, which and, sounds and that's basic, how, but. Well, it does sound basic, doesn't it? But it's not the way that characters always function in stories. And especially in superhero stories. Where people have profound plot armor. Mm. People have profound plot armor, and often I feel that superheroes aren't safe 
can we get to the twist now? Because it's like so integral to what we're going to be talking about today. I was going to say, do you, do you think that might play into the title and the name of the main character? Yeah. Like, because he kind of does have the plot armor to a certain extent. But, but also, if you were reading this, like before, obviously we know that it's a hundred and so issues. Back then, it, it feels like if you were reading it when it came out, they could have killed Markov. Like, but it feels like they could have. The name Invincible, I feel, is like a little nod to the invincible the perceived invincibility of youth like he isn't given the moniker invincible he chooses it and it's because he currently feels invincible and i think what we see in this comic is that the heroes are not invincible and they can die yeah and so i don't necessarily feel that mark has particularly strong plot armor i mean it might be it might be a pun on it you're like or a play on it in a way but yeah, one thing before we get into the proper story, I was saying earlier about the artist. Uh, one thing that I think is noteworthy, at the very least, is the reason that the original artist, uh, Corey Walker, stopped. I mean, he stopped because I said he, he felt like he couldn't handle it. Um, like the, the deadline of doing a monthly comic. Fair dues. Like, I absolutely could not. Um, but you can't draw. I can't draw for shit anyway. Doing anything to a monthly, I, I do this just about. Like, this you know, just. I've been learning to draw. That might come in handy when we release our comic lyrics tie-in comic. Yeah, because I, you know, I have a bunch of friends who are artists. Mm. Um, I kept hounding one of them to teach me how to draw, and he was like, "No, I'm not. I can't teach you to draw." But there's this book you should do called "Fun with a Pencil" by Andrew Loomis, right? And it's like a fucking classic. Um, it's been around since the fifties. Everyone says if you want to learn to draw, like just work through this book first. And I've been working through it, and I've been getting a little bit better. Well, you heard it's it amazing. Here. You heard it here first. The comic literate tie-in comic is coming soon. <laughs> Drawn by me, crudely. And it's just a retelling of us doing the podcast. It's the podcast in comic book form. Oh my god. I mean, like, I l- so one of the things that I've gotten more interested in since we've been doing this is like graphic novels that aren't like non-fiction graphic novels. And we've mm. we've we've done a couple that I've kind of suggested and hound you to do, haven't I? And so and there's a there's a there's a gra- there's a graphic biography of the bloke who invented Pokemon, right? That was published as a manga in Japan. Never had a really good translation into English, which is why we haven't read it because I can't find a good translation. Mm. But I think it's really cool when people use that medium to do something other than just tell a story, or to you know when they do it, when they use it to do something other than telling a fictional story. Because we see it in film all the time, and we've had biographies and autobiographies and biopics for years and years and years. Mm. But the idea of like a graphic biography is still a bit unusual and you don't see that many of them. And I just think it's a really fascinating concept. Mm, Well, now you've set the bar, we have to do something interesting and never done before for our comic. Fuck. But um, (laughs) I was just going to do more Batman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Completely unlicensed. (laughs) And then when they ask, you can't do Batman. It's like, no, we're not doing Batman. We're doing Batman. Batman. Yeah. He's he's Mr. Batman. He's not a superhero. He's Mr. Batman. (laughs) It's just a surname. He gets annoyed at Batman references constantly. <laughs> he exists in a universe where Batman exists. Yeah, the the comic does. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the the he exists in a universe where comic book Batman is a franchise. But if we could get licensed by DC, it'd be a Batman comic where Batman's an actual superhero, but our character is just a member of the public who keeps getting people like, "Is your surname?" I was like, "I had the surname before he became the superhero." <laughs> it's actually pronounced Bateman. <laughs> it's patrick bayman and it's also a it's a american psycho spin-off as well oh <laughs> mate we've done we're that's, done that's the twist right let's stop recording that's the m night Shyamalan <laughs> twist 
but your writer's like, turns out it's Patrick Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, speaking on this, I was, yeah. uh, one thing I was almost caught myself saying is we could become like the Kirkman-Walker uh, partnership. But the problem with that is they kind of had a bit of a falling out after Walker stopped drawing on it. Oh, I think they that's had a, a shame. It was a bit of a, like a rights to the comic because Walker was still technically a co-creator. Yeah, apparently sense. they've all resolved it now. Yeah, so I think it are did. They friends again? They are working together now again. Hey! Well, they've done comics. Oh, later, so. I love, I love a happy ending. But there was a period of time where, and this was the video I was sent by Matt with four T's. Matt with four T's. That um he kind of pointed out that this guy Walker was a bit like, yeah, Kirkman's a bit of an arsehole. Like, he'll just lie to you and deals and stuff. And I feel like the fact they're reconciled now, I feel like it's one of those things where he wasn't lying or anything, but I think it was like uh, they were other sides of a business argument and it yeah. gets a bit heated and, you know, that kind of stuff. So apparently it's all fine now. So I thought worth mentioning for... Contracts, man. you got to exactly. have a contract. We don't have a contract. We don't, but we did do that blood pact, so that's probably fine. Oh, uh, well, the day we summoned Mephisto to bring our... Dead aren't back and, to and, life. And then he said, you have to forget you've ever done the podcast. <laughs> also, interestingly, uh, another big tangent. Yeah. Um, they're redoing the Ultimate Universe on, in Marvel. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the main one of that, the big Avengers type ulti- Ultimate Universe. So it's yeah. all the superheroes. But they're also doing Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. So redoing that now. So which Spidey is it going to be? It's Peter Parker, but in the Ultimate Universe. So different universe, not 616, right, okay. but the other one. Is it Tobey Maguire or <laughs> Andrew I mean, Garfield? Who they use is the, is the, the base for the character. Who knows? But what's interesting is not only is the Ultimate Universe being helmed and written by Jonathan Hickman. Okay, big, cool. Big X-Men cool. fame. Yeah. Big big love for big him here on the podcast. Big name. He also, in what seems like strong reference to the bollocks they've been doing on the Amazing Spider-Man series, yeah. which follows on from the whole Mephisto thing, and yeah. now they're still not together, and they're doing a bunch of bollocks. Is MJ coming back? Not only the Ultimate Spider-Man, they're married with kids. Wait, oh, Peter Parker finally gets to be happy. And it's not even come out yet, but the the, the first issue was kind of shown, and it's it's them as a family so on the, the front. Are the nerds happy? I mean, they're like, we wanted this since fucking Mephist, since one more Literally day. since like, the 80s, yeah. We Well, I mean, like, they one got married in the, the 80s. 2000s, but, yeah. It? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they, they had like, you know, issues in their marriage, but this is finally like, they're actually happy with kids Aww. and we can do this story finally. Oh, that's Peter's so good. grown up finally. We can <laughs> do this, which actually kind of comes back to this comic. I think one of the big appeals of this is we are seeing a growing character in not real time, but compared to bloody Marvel and DC in the way time stands still there, feels like a real time growth. Like so he, is Mark allowed to grow up a bit? Yeah, he. I mean, we've in these, we've seen him go high school to, well, not to college, but he's done the, day at college yeah, and, he's, but and he's going to college peter parker's been on his way to college since the mid-90s mate like well, i don't he, trust that he probably goes and he gets kicked <laughs> out and then he becomes a billionaire for a bit and then he loses all his money and, and then know. they recast him yeah but mark they uh, like invincible the universe actually goes ahead with events and stuff and i think that's for me it's why it's probably my favorite superhero title ever because it actually is a continuous narrative that has stakes and every action and event has to be reconciled with after yeah. and stuff so that this is before we get into the stuff if you've somehow not read invincible or it more especially if you've not watched the tv show yeah then highly recommend get into it if you're you know if we've interested you at all so the big spoiler from the first two volumes that we read that i said to you 
read to this point yeah, yeah, so yeah. we can talk about it. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, so there is a Justice League style group of superheroes who all look suspiciously like the Justice League. They're the Justice League. There is a bloke who looks like Batman, but he just doesn't have the bat ears and he's called Nightcrawler. And I'm going to. That is Darkwing. Nightcrawler's X Men. Yeah, but basically he looks cooler than Batman. What I found especially funny with that, they show like a bit of the the superheroes just doing their normal stuff before they get called. And everyone's doing the stuff like the Flash character, whatever he's called. He's on a he's, date. He's on a date, but he's he's uh uh rescuing the day and coming yeah. back and stuff. You've got uh um Wonder Woman type character who I can't remember what she was doing. She's but... just hanging out with her girlfriend. Her girlfriend's making her eggs, man. <laughs> but then she gets attacked, so yeah, she yeah. has a big super fight. So they do all this stuff of like important stuff happening. Darkwing's apprehending some criminals in the the city that's always nighttime for some reason but they don't linger on that too much. the moon guy blew up or something. Yeah. So they're doing all this fun stuff, and then they get to the Aquaman guy. Who is actually a fish. He's a, <laughs> he's a fish man or a man fish, and he's literally just sitting there on his throne doing fuck all. <laughs> and then he gets the call, he goes, oh, finally. finally. <laughs> something to do. So funny. It's absolute piss take of Aquaman. <laughs> I think that went away once Jason Momoa got cast. But before that, Aquaman was a yeah, laugh. Yeah, because Jason Momoa is essentially a god. Have you, have you heard about his, just as a tangent, um, as, as if I'm capable of anything else? Mm. He, when he was getting buff for Aquaman, obviously he had a super restricted diet because they all do. Um, and one of the things that got taken away from him was Guinness and he had this big scene where he needed to look particularly buff Mm. and he just wasn't getting there. And allegedly he ran off, necked a couple pints of Guinness and the extra iron in it just gave him what he needed. So like he has had his diet, his like team build calories out of his diet so that he can have a couple pints of guinness a day because he just loves the shit i'm calling bullshit on that not because i don't think the story exists yeah i think to me that sounds like him being like actually it was the guinness that helped so if anything i should have it more next time well and this is the thing isn't it but i just love the fact that of all the things that he has available to him his tipple is guinness Mm. he's getting yeah guinness is fantastic guinness is wonderful i mean they used to prescribe guinness to pregnant women to be like all the Good iron, however. And do you know what? The only reason they've stopped doing it is because it has alcohol in it. It's, it's, a big, actually, it's a big reason. <laughs> well, I know, but Guinness is really great. Like, oh, mate, oh, I just want a Guinness now. I went to the Guinness, like... The brewery. Uh, distil- and, the brewery. And the they distillery, have a, where distillery where they distill where the Guinness. Brewery, I don't know. It's a brewery, mate. The the factory where they the fa- factory where they facilitate making of the Guinness. Where they milk the leprechauns to yeah. make the black stuff. And... They have these posters from like all from the ages, like back when it first started and whatever. And one of them was the one of like recommending it to pregnant women. And I thought, oh, they're going to bang on about all the iron in it. And the advert, it was like a, it was a TV advert from like the sixties or something. And it's literally a cartoon doctor being like, you should drink Guinness when you're pregnant because all of the Guinnessy goodness in the <laughs> in the drink. And I was like. That's not science. The Guinnessy goodness. I bet he's not even a real doctor. <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> but so yeah, the Guardians of the Globe, the Justice yes. League, you know, they so all the get Gu- called. The Guardians of the Globe all get a suspicious call. They assemble and then somebody turns up and murders all of them. And they set up a, a red herring earlier because one of them recently lost their powers, yeah. kicked out, really bitter about it. And, and you then, see him like... 
the guy who builds the super suits for everyone has a suit that would have restored his powers that gets suspiciously stolen. Like an Iron Man type armor kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. And it turns out it's Mark's dad that did the murdering. Mm. I really love the resolve to where the suit went, and it's just the guy's butler. <laughs> well, they like in great fashion, they, like it was it was almost like an expert red herring setup yeah. one. Because again, if you don't know that this is what this comic is going to be like. Yeah. By this point, so that's issue seven, this happens. Mm. By issue seven, it's been very run-of-the-mill, like, coming-of-age story, but with superheroes, and it's interesting, and they're, they're obviously parodying some other, you know, big superhero stuff, like yeah. the Justice League and everything. So you're reading it like, oh, it's a bit meta, but it's also got its own story, and the dialogue's really good, and the characters are believable. You go through all this stuff, and then when you get to this part, you go, oh, shit, like, this is real. Like, this is where it's really starting. And to think that stuff it happens in issue seven, so going on for seven months. Yeah. So people are reading this, assuming it was a monthly release. I'm pretty sure it was, but imagine people reading this for seven months, having all those thoughts, and then getting to this point. It's like, oh bloody hell, it's kicked off. Like, yeah, and it did, and it uh, it took me by surprise. I was really shocked by it. Normally, I can spot these things exactly, and again, like, how good it was. Pattern recognition. Normally, I can spot these things as they're ha- as they're happening, but there was no hint. There was exactly. no hint that this was what was going to happen. And do you know what? It was the moment at which I went, okay, this is pretty cool. Because to start with, I kind of felt it was a little bit sterile mm-hmm. and a bit funny and a bit jokey. And it was like, oh, this is kind of the same thing that we've seen with all the young Peter Parker stories or more recently with the young Blue Beetle stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like a young or even the guy from Rogue Son, particularly with the father-son relationship stuff, like... It's that kind that of, almost feels like a continuation of the theme of Invincible, right. and it's also by image. And I, and I believe when we talked about Rogue Son, you mentioned Invis- Invincible. Mm. Like, you mentioned Invincible to me. Um, and so, yeah, no, it, it, definitely, it, it was definitely a turning point in the arc of the story, and it was the point at which I went, okay, shit, this is something I could read. Like, this is now really interesting. There is one scene that I'd really like to chat about, and it doesn't really have much bearing on the story if not just to kind of give us a fun little character moment between mum and dad. Well, can you hold that for a second? Because no. I think I've got a fun thing. I'm going to shit myself. Do. I mean, you do that anyway. So so uh, what I've got here is, uh, so talking about how big that scene was, it yes. kind of almost feels like that's where the comic You want to show me a starts. bit from the TV show, don't you? I'm going to show you the scene from the TV show. Okay. But what they did interestingly with this is the TV show the first episode ends with this scene. Oh, fuck. Right, okay, so, that makes a lot of sense. And I thought that's interesting, because again, like it feels like that's when the comic almost actually starts yes. at issue seven, but you still need to read the rest of the stuff to get the impact. But you could tell when making the TV show, they were like, oh, we need this like at the end of episode one to establish the stakes. And that's interesting, because The Walking Dead starts in media, in media res. Mm. Like, The Walking Dead in the first issue, everything's kicked off, he's breaking out of the hospital, there's zombies everywhere. Yeah. And so, for this to then, for this to have had that seven-issue build-up, I mean, I get it, I get it, I totally get it, because I was quite grounded in the universe that I was in, I kind of understood the rules of everything, I understood what everyone did, Mm. and then this happened, and it's like, fuck, shit's getting serious now. Yeah. You want me to watch the thing, don't you? I want to get your live reaction for it, because it's quite Well, I'll I'll watch the thing, and then I won't react to it until we're back, because we can't have the audio for this. Well, they really went there, didn't they? They did, and I thought, especially interesting... Because the comic book, it very, it's very quick, like, close-up We close see up one shots. person die and he makes a quip. Yeah. You see people dying 
and then you only reveal their Tommy Man after everyone's dead because it's so quickly done. Whereas in this one, you could tell they were like, we need to like shock viewers with this. Is that a kid's cartoon? I mean, no, obviously not. <laughs> it's really brutal. Yep, yep. And I thought... They went there, didn't they? Fucking hell. I thought especially interesting because, again, it's such a pivotal moment in the comic. And you can tell that they really got into the detail of like, this is how bad it is. And to the point where when the series came out, I think it was last year or the year before. But what happened was people who read the comic and knew this was coming... They filmed people they were with who hadn't read the comic seeing this for the first time. Yeah. So this is kind of online. This is similar to like, do you remember there was like live reactions of the Red Wedding? Yes. And things like, there's things like that where people are like, oh my God, oh my <laughs> man, no. <laughs> like, it's brutal. It's a really brutal it's scene. very brutal, yeah. And I think, again, it, it, it's interesting, the difference between the comic and the TV show, this makes a concerted effort to be like, this is the main story. Like, this is the plot that we're dealing with throughout the series. And that's why we're starting on episode one. So, pretty brutal. I think what's interesting is that directly after this happens in the comic, we then see him go home and just hang out with his family. Yeah. And he goes to the funerals, which is ice cold. He speaks at the funeral. Well, there's also ice cold. A part that I made a note about was that there's a part where some other people are talking in the foreground. Yeah. And in the background, he's talking to parody aquaman's uh Wife. widow yeah and he's like he said oh, i think i made it he said it wasn't your fault like you couldn't do anything about it kind of thing yeah sorry for your last year like you couldn't do anything about it and you just feel like oh you cold-hearted motherfucker yeah and it really sets him up with like oh by the way he's the villain essentially yeah and and i just i kind of Everything that is going to now have to come kind of went through my head as i was reading it and i was like yeah that's cool that's it, interesting. It also makes the strong points leading up to in the comic of how much how much less strong Mark is compared to his dad. Yeah, and it's a consistent theme, isn't it? So if you're looking at this being like, well, if Mark's the protagonist and his dad's the antagonist, then they're probably going to fight. How's that going to go? And I think that builds up even more tension than your traditional Marvel or DC, where it's like, well, they're, they're, they're the bad guy and it'll be a bit rough, but they'll win in the end kind of thing. Yeah. Like this really feels like how how could this possibly yeah, resolve it's powerful itself? stuff isn't it mm. so comic again it it does this point and then it it lingers so well afterwards yeah what point did you get to uh in the story some he- like whether what the, points to talk the end about? of the funeral where the building blows up right yeah so it gets really interesting like the plot points from there and how things kind of happen afterwards yeah um which again, it comes down to how well the characters are written and how they interact stuff. It doesn't feel like, ooh, there's this undercurrent now when it might, like, it kind of subverts how it all comes out yeah. as well, interestingly enough. So that's something to get to. Maybe I might have inspired you to watch the TV show. So potentially, yeah, you might maybe have. actually. How many well, episodes are there? I think it's like 10, maybe. Is it? Uh, Amazon. So. Of course <laughs> it is. Ugh. What I like to do, what I'm doing now, is I'll just buy a month of a yeah, series yeah, service yeah, at a yeah. time watch everything that's on there you want and then cancel it and then watch the next you can get month. a week of amazon for like a quid exactly and it's it's i cannot imagine having all the streaming services at one go now oh my god what's yeah no it would be obscene wouldn't it that's a sign of wealth like you have to, <laughs> you have to be a successful drug dealer to afford netflix and amazon prime and spotify don't even get me spot don't even get me started on spotify books on spotify now it's interesting. They're, they're probably challenging Audible in a yeah, way. Yeah, they're whole ass books. Mm. Um, 
So the scene you were then going to get into, a scene between uh, dad and the mum, who I actually made a note of her name, because I think she's going to be interesting to talk about. Uh, well, that's not what I was going to chat about. You, oh. you, you, it, this seems trivial now. We've really gotten into the themes of the comic book, and I was like, that was a fun scene that it was enjoyable. But, but those are a big part of it, I think. So it was when Mark's dad sent him to go fight that extraterrestrial threat. Alan and it, the alien. Yeah, yeah, and it turns out he's like... so. Mark's dad has been fighting this dude every three years for a long time. And it turns out that he is the auditor for a group of intergalactic protectors. And he just goes and has a little fight to make sure you're doing all right. And he, he references that the last guy wasn't very chatty. And that's a sign that you're trying too hard and that you, you're not actually keeping up. And then it turns out that obviously he's not actually a threat to Earth and he's been going to the wrong planet that just sounds a bit similar. He was meant to be at Urath. Urath. Yeah, <laughs> he was meant to be going to Urath. Which is also, it's it does play, like it gets way more into this big space stuff as it goes yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There's that trope of like Marvel and DC where it's like, people in space speak English somehow and they know that Earth is called Earth for some reason. Like, you know, like that kind of stuff where it's like, don't think about it, we're, we're jumping some bits of information here just to just to streamline it a bit more so it does all that kind of stuff but it's funny it's it a really funny. funny moment and alan the aliens really sound we like him i really hope i get to meet him again he is a big character so, he's great yes. he's so much fun and in the tv show voiced by seth rogan oh it's, mate, it's good it's good no no i i fucking rate seth rogan i think he's hilarious it's actually seth rogan and evan goldberg who yeah. do who did preacher and the boys tv shows they did this one as well oh shit it's gonna be good then oh it's already fantastic because like, i i really rate i really rate evan goldberg as a writer i mean they're both writers i guess aren't they well they write together they're, they've been a writing partnership since they were in school mm. they wrote super bad while they were in school about their time in high school mm. and yeah i really rate them as a writing partnership i think i think they write really funny stuff and i think so yeah to get i mean i don't know which of them it is you know it's hard to attribute with stuff like that isn't it but i think they make quite astute comments on things and they're quite you know thoughtful i mean they modernized the boys really well because like when we're talking about the comic yeah people keep talking to me about the boys the, the TV show is really good. I hear, and, I hear it's excellent. And I probably mentioned this on the episode we did of The Boys, but one of the ways they modernize is in the Boys TV show, the, uh, in the comic, there's a bit of like the film stuff, but it's the, it's the comic books and merchandise, which is like the big money yeah, yeah, yeah. source for all. In the uh, TV show, they are doing like the big MCU Marvel streamline of films, and that's the big one. Like, but the superheroes are playing themselves in the films right, and stuff. Okay. So they're good at modern, and they also update like the political stuff. Like yeah. Homelander in the Boys TV show is kind of almost like a bit of a Trump character now. Yeah, like, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they make very astute observations, don't they? They always have done. Yeah. Um, most notably in This Is the End. Yep. Yep. Like that was really astute, and that and that was really like knowing, wasn't it? Yes, very meta because they were all playing themselves as well. Do you know they didn't tell the studio? I didn't know that. I did know that my tip of information is Michael Cera, when he was kind of shown, he arrived quite late yeah. like, to be a part of it. And they were like, hey, here's what, what we want you to do. Like, essentially be a massive fucking arsehole because yeah. it's funny because he, he's the furthest thing from it in reality. But apparently the, the one caveat that he had to play was like, I want to wear my windbreaker coat that I'm wearing now. Like I want to wear my own thing because he thought it'd be it'd be better for him to look like 
so like unassuming threat kind of thing. Yeah, yeah like yeah. just him, like Michael Cera. If you just imagine him in your head, like he's wearing like a kind of weird, quirkyish kind of rain jacket, and then he's like doing coke and telling people to fuck off and things like that. So the studio said that they weren't allowed to play themselves and that right. they had to just be characters. And they told them, they told the studio that, yeah, that's fine, we'll do that. And then they turned up on set, and remember there was a mural of Seth and um, oh, what's his name? James uh, Franco. Scandal noted. Scandal noted. Um, yeah, Thank, there was. Thanks, P. Holmes. They had they had Seth and James like in twenty foot high letters on the walls on this set, and they were like, "Do you reckon the studio's gonna know?" The last funny thing about the production of that film, mm. you know, um, Channing Tatum ends up being like Danny McBride's gimp sex slave. Mm, yeah, they almost wrote that out of the movie because they couldn't get anyone to do it right. Mm. And um, what's his name, Jonah Hill, who obviously you know has worked with Channing Tatum. Then I bet Channing Tatum would do it. Like, I bet he would. And Seth Rogen sent him an email at three o'clock in the morning and then two minutes later got a response <laughs> and said, yeah, I'm in. Like, Channing Tatum was just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. <laughs> and he was up at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Channing Tatum was awake at three in the morning and accepted that fucking role. He was probably on the treadmill because he has, he has two to look like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, but no, yeah, so, I, I yeah, I, that that's dope. Yeah, I'm definitely going to, well, I say I'm definitely going to watch it. It... it w- I'll I'll hold you to it. Yeah, but- yeah. The next episode, you'll be like, "What did you think of it?" Yeah, I'll be like, "Oh, mate, I'm sorry, I was busy." <laughs> the most interesting thing is they they also subvert the the traditional superhero tropes in the TV show in their own ways, but a bit more like bigger, wider ways. Like, for example, the way it starts is this place with these security guards, so like a science lab or something, and yeah. the security guards have like a five minute conversation. Right. Like just like back and forth chit chat like co-workers do a bit about their life. One of them's taking their son to like a baseball game or something. Do and they it's, die? No, well, they're doing that. Fatal family then, photo, man. And then an attack happens from supervillain. Yeah. But it takes like a, a surprisingly long time setting up these bystanders to then have the impact of like these supervillains are like causing collateral damage. And do you know the fatal family way. photo is a trope? Yeah, it's like oh, it, it's the it's also the three days away from retirement yeah, yeah, like, yeah absolutely but the fatal family photo if somebody shows a photograph of their family in like a war film or something mm. they are dying first i can't remember who i think it might have been simpsons did a trope of it like that where um someone's in war and someone's like i need you to get my gold watch to my family oh no i think it was, it was futurama so it's right. bender they're in war it's like i need to get my gold watch to my family but it's like will do it's like but wait i haven't shown you the photo it's like i'll find them <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh right. man, Matt Groening, goated. Yeah. Goated. But um, um, one thing I made a note of for this, I thought you'd appreciate. It's one of those things that you may or may not notice how in depth they get into like the act of flying as a superhero. Yes. I thought for 2003, that must have been especially refreshing. This is one thing that I found a little bit. This is one of the things that I found a little bit uninspiring in the first few issues is that all of the supers seem to have the same kind of power set. They all kind of fly. They're all super strong. There's not much differentiation, particularly in the teens. Yeah. In their powers. And I'm kind of like, oh, that's a shame because the one thing that the Marvel Universe is really good at, um, and DC, uh, the one thing the big two are really good at is having diversified movesets. Well, they had to, I think over decades, they just kept having to make new ones. Like, yeah. This one now does other stuff. Like- Whereas these guys are all just kind of they're a bit superman i think you know what i mean yeah and i think the point of that is i've i think i've made this point quite a few times is when titles like these comics and any other literature whatever when you take a a well-worn genre 
you use the tropes to get things quicker to expedite things exactly so like mark he's a superman type his dad's a superman type like adam eve is a green lantern type powers um so it kind of gets quickly like that but again they're all very samey aren't they the power yeah the power sets are all a bit same except for the um global guardians whatever they're called but again they're direct ripoffs of specific dc characters it's interesting that i suppose in 2003 the Avengers, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hadn't kicked off. Nowhere yet. near, no. And so the Avengers wasn't super popular as a Marvel franchise. Like DC was doing a lot better than Marvel at this point, wasn't it? I think in comics they were doing probably similar. Like they both had like an- animated cartoons and stuff, yeah. which had elevated them quite a bit. Around this time, they probably had the Justice League TV show, which was big. And which that is was why he went with the Justice League, not the Avengers. Yeah. And I think they're kind of more well, I think they're more like archetype superpowers. Like, yeah, I suppose they kind of are, aren't they? Like, the Avengers are a bit of a funny mixed bag, really, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the Avengers at the time, that was literally the superheroes. They weren't doing anything else They were the rejects, weren't the they? Because yeah. they had the band, which, which they had another ensemble, didn't they, Marvel? Uh, well, they had a few. Fantastic Four, yeah. X-Men, um, a bunch of other handful ones. Yeah, um, and so the Avengers were kind of the, the mishmash ensemble cast. Yeah, like, we are literally not doing anything with these characters. Yeah, and so it's, yeah, it's sort of interesting that the Justice League probably was a, at the time was a more logical place for him to parody wasn't it and so much so that when it came time to the mcu creating and starting the mcu they used those same superheroes because those are the ones they still had the rights to because no one else wanted them no one like, else had bought them they sold them in the noughties yeah. spider-man the hulk x-men like a fantastic four all the more popular ones had gone so they were like well we've got these but we can make the avengers yeah and it's so interesting because the avengers are now the gold standard for a superhero ensemble aren't they oh for sure yeah really I mean, like that's what everyone's trying to emulate i mean the the film style i mean not necessarily film style the franchise style especially like the, the great quote is like when dc were trying to get justice league off the ground they did superman they did batman v superman and they did justice league and someone put it really well they said all the studios want an avengers but yeah. none of them want to make iron man <laughs> and that is the thing like they they just wanted to get straight into the big ensemble yeah and iron man like i still really rate the iron man films out of everything i mean i'm not a big fan of the mcu in general am i yeah but i do like the i do like the iron man films particularly the first one i think the first one's really strong i mean the casting of downey jr was like the the thing i think that made it but it's so interesting because Robert Downey Jr. had a really, really rough time of it in the noughties. Mm. He wasn't this big global megastar. But he was so... uh, Obviously, they wanted someone bigger. I think it was... um, Who's the guy? He was the director of the first one, played Happy Hogan in Chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Favreau. John Favreau. Yeah. I think he was the one who was like... He got the director role, and he was like, it needs to be Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Like, he embodies the character already. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, like, he was totally the right fit. But, I mean, at the time, Robert Downey Jr. was a bit of a rogue choice Hmm. for anything. Like, he was not the guy that you would build a franchise like that around 15 years ago. He had, you know, he'd just been in prison. I don't think they would they wouldn't choose him now because it's too successful to fail, like to risk failure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They'd go for a much more conventional, safe leading man. And Disney, who owns it now, as a rule, do not hire people with a criminal record. So when it was Marvel, they were fine getting uh, Robert Downey Jr. But when Disney took over, it's like we can't do this again because we can't we they as a rule, the only two people who've been in Disney properties with criminal records 
I th- I've heard this somewhere. This might be wrong. I think it's Robert Downey Jr. and Tim Allen in the Toy Story films because Pixar got bought by Disney. Tim Allen, though. Tim Allen was um, uh, Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. No, what did he do oh, wrong? He, he, got, he was trafficking cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> He to lit- infinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> he literally got caught trafficking going hey, space man. <laughs> and, there, and there's a um there's a mugshot of him when he got caught and arrested for it. And in the mugshot, he has a little narcos mustache. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And how did I not this is this is the stuff you miss when you don't follow the news at all. I mean, this wasn't in the news. <laughs> this was decades. <laughs> I got it from like being in this, you know, deep culture that's stuff. So good. What? Just as a tangent, by the way, I've had some feedback on the podcast that I just wanted to like shoehorn into the episode. Sure. An old friend of mine has been listening and he's been really enjoying it. The people want more tangents, Ryan. That's what the people are here for. I've had it, got it on good authority from an actual listener that they want more tangents. But also, also, and I think you'll find that, I think you'll get a chuckle out of this, showed it to his partner and they listened. They're a Cambridge educated doctor. So amongst our listenership is a Cambridge-educated doctor. So I really feel like we need to up our game a bit. So here's the problem with that. I, <laughs> I don't think we can physically fit any more tangents in with, though we just <laughs> before we stop talking about the comic. You know, you know what that is? And I, this has come up again recently. The thing on my phone that tells me that I've used my phone more last week yeah, yeah, yeah. than usual, it's back and it's still bewildering. So I'm like... How could I possibly be using my phone any more than I already am? Every week. And again, Monday morning, yeah. it goes, you used your phone three hours more than usual. I'm like, how? Which three hours? How is that? Po- I don't have any more time in the day. I'm already addicted. Like, Are you scrolling Reddit in your sleep, bruv? Is I, that I, what's happening? I must have started. But, <laughs> but even then, if it's a couple of hours every week, what's that, like eight hours? Yeah, like, yeah, like that's a full work day every week that you're losing somewhere. It can't still be telling me <laughs> that I'm using my phone more than usual. <laughs> and this is why I mean. It's like, we can't possibly fit in more tangents than we already do. Isn't this a deep cut from the start of the podcast? It is. And it's going to remember uh, talking about this. Every time my phone reminds me, it's going to come up again. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And back to you, Rachel. Uh, just so you see, here's the mugshot. Oh, mate, that's fabulous. He looks great. <laughs> I mean, he is cocaine skinny. He is cocaine. That is a skinnier Tim Allen than I'm accustomed to. He literally looks like uh, like the white guy who's been hired by the cartel in, oh, he does, in Narcos. Doesn't he? Oh, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Yeah, so he's the only other one with a criminal record. I think criminal record literally means like, have you been arrested and have a mugshot? So yeah, the only yeah. two people in Disney properties who have mugshots are Robert Downey Jr. and Tim Allen. So learn something new on the podcast every week. I'm trying. I'm, rack- I'm trying to think now if there's any anyone in Disney that I'm surprised hasn't been arrested. I mean, that's a dangerous <laughs> hill to start going down. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's that's a, that's a true crime podcast. <laughs> what did Drain? What was Dwayne the Rock Johnson been up to? Because it's not geology, Ryan. I mean, as we've established in a short that was well-received, surprisingly. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a good one. The Rock is a geologist. <laughs> what did you think of, did you pick up on the running joke? And it might not be running for how much we read it, but it was established that the Viltrumites, who are basically the Kryptonians of this, yes. they all have mustaches. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did clock it. And 
they, I mean, they did a really good job in making Mark's dad look as much like Mark's uh, Tom Selleck as is humanly possible. I mean, and they all, once you see the flashbacks, they, they all, all look like Tom Selleck, don't they? It's and great. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a very minor spoiler for the entire series. It's never addressed. No one ever points does out. Mark, the... Does Mark start rocking a stash as he gets older? I won't say either way or not on that. Oh, no, I need to know. I don't think he does. I'm oh. almost certain he doesn't. You know I'm a purveyor of facial hair. But I think that becomes a kind of running theme of like him not taking on... His dad's mantle. His dad's mantle, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I interrupted your thought by coughing and then finished it. Would you like to redress that? I can't even remember it now. I'll, I'll <laughs> add out the cough, but I'll leave in the, that part there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. People will know, like... People will be like, that sounded a bit weird. Oh, he coughed. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I have a cold. I mean, it's been going around. We've delayed some recordings because... But... We are a week late. <laughs> We'll catch up. We're professionals. We'll uh, we'll hammer down. And... Well, you're not professional. Apparently, you're using your phone three hours a day more while you're meant to be podcasting. I mean, I'm using it right now, so maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's where the extra hours are coming in. But yeah. even then, that's finite. <laughs> it still doesn't make sense. What do you think of the cliffhanger with the chest bomb at the, like the beginning? Because I thought, yeah, I, really cool. I thought that started off very typical, very kind of like his, like you know, the we're in the action and then like pause, freeze frame this is me. You might be wondering how I got, you know, that kind of well, trope. I mean, I thought it was a bit weak. I'll be honest with you. And that's what I mean. But what's interesting is they don't address it till issue four. Yeah. So normally with these kind of things, like what, from what I've seen and experience, they normally address that end of issue one. Yeah. So they have to pay off immediately. Like here's yeah. what, here's we're back around. We're back in a circle now. Whereas in this, it was actually the volume kind of bookended. And then yeah. it turns out at the end, it explains the significance of it. Like, yeah. it's not just like a bank robber who had a bomb on his chest or whatever. And you don't even know it's a bomb at the beginning or he does explode, I guess. Yeah. Maybe you infer it. But then when you get to the point of like the, this high school teacher who was... Um, his son mad, died. He and... was mad at students, but they weren't even the ones who bullied him. It wasn't a great storyline. But I feel like for me, knowing what this kind of comic book is... For me, it felt a bit more refreshing because it was a bit underplayed. Whereas traditionally, yeah. it would be like you've the big bad at the end of the first volume. You've you've caught me, and now we're going to fight. Whereas this just felt like it felt like depressing almost. It was, but that was the point, the first point at which I sort of thought, "What has Ryan got me reading it?" Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't rate it as a storyline. Really, mm. it hotted up for me towards the end, to, at the end of issue seven. Yeah when I realized what the actual overarching theme of the whole thing was going to be, I yeah. was like, right, now I'm in, now I'm hooked. And maybe, potentially, because of how underplayed the first six issues are, yeah. that actually helps the the shock of this issue seven reveal. And, it then... w- and, it, and, and the reveal was slight. It was a single panel, end of the issue, dropped into issue eight. Like, it was good. It was, it was well done. It was well executed. It was well written. Yeah. I was... And again, the art had picked... I mean, I don't... I, knowing, the ba- knowing the story of why the art looked the way it did, I, I'm really reluctant to harp on about the fact that it did get a bit better with the new artist. Mm. It was a bit more interesting to look at. The layouts were better. The, like, the, you know, just the backgrounds looked better and stuff. I think, and this is, again, recalling memory from however long ago when I read it. Yeah. I think that it actually gets better as it goes along. And I yeah. think the artist who came in, uh, Ryan Otley, I think he slowly transitions to make it more better and style, more his style. Yeah. And again, the style remains. But again, I think, like you pointed out, I think he makes it crisper as it goes along. It's just, yeah, it's just a bit crispier. It's but also, for, for a comic that ran 15 years... 
it might have been just the, the printing technology developed over that time There's as well. There's so many things that we could attribute it to, aren't there? Yeah. Like, but I'm pretty sure it gets better. So if anyone who's considering reading it, you've got that. One thing I was going to point on, I thought you might find interesting, is the mother character, Debbie. Yeah. I was going to initially, I was just going to say, great mother character. Mm. But then I, and like very well written, like the fact that she's not in any of the action, but you see her reacting yeah. to like the dad's absences and then the son suddenly now getting these absences yeah and the fact that she's trying to hold in the fear and the sadness like and doing a great job like i love that scene where mark has been doing some really like dark stuff and dad has been allegedly taken hostage and made prisoner by this alien race and in the week that he's been gone has actually been like a year for him and he looks really bedraggled and she asks them what their day have been like, and they tell her these really quite harrowing stories. And she goes, anyone for dessert? Mm. Like, she's just totally <laughs> nonplussed by it all, and it's really fun. So I was going to make a point of great mother character. Yeah. And then I kind of realized, I think there's been a couple of comics where we've isolated great mother characters. Or that's Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yes, and, and I agree. And to extend even further, the um, I can't remember her name, but from um, Le- uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yeah. uh, Harkness was it? Mm-hmm. Um, she was not mother, but she was like the responsible one of the group, kind of thing. And we like the mum in Rogue Son. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I feel like what's uh, what we're kind of identifying here is that the limitation of female roles within comic books and superhero stories, for especially for two thousand and three. I think it's it's obviously a lot better now, but I think back then we'd be like, oh, this great mother character. But then it becomes like, well, who else was the female character going to be? Like it was either the yeah. mum or the love interest. Yeah. And they gave us both. <laughs> yeah. If the limited roles that women were allowed at the time. And that's what I mean. So that's why I kind of caught myself rather than being like, oh, it's a great mother character. It's like, well, that's the one well-written female character. And yeah. Oh, it was going to be one or the other. One you know? of two well-written female characters. I like the other super. Yeah. She's a- fun. Amiv is a great character. She actually might be my favorite female superhero. Oh, like, cool. Um, I th- like her. There's a great thing they did with the TV show mm. between... So in preparation for season two, yeah. they actually did a one-off special and it was Atom Eve's origin. And they oh, never... Oh, cool. They, I think they broach on it, but they never fully show it in the comic. So it's all OC. I think so. And I cool. think Kirkman even like either wrote it or he helped on it or some yeah, stuff that's cool but it's great like mm. it's harrowing and it's really emotional and i think you'd love it like it's a yeah, cool. great story great action sequences as well so it has everything did you clock the one the one one of the times that 2003 really crept into the story i mean a bu- probably a bunch of times but what type what are you talking about so his friend asked him to take him for a little fly and there's a panel where yes he's got him in i his made arms. a note of it yeah and Mark says, this is so gay. Yes. And I read that and went, oh, for fuck's sake. Thing is, on the one hand... It annoyed and, me, Ryan. Yeah. I think we've had this discussion before, and I think it's uh, as applicable here as it is in others. On the one hand, uh, it's not age well at all. But on the other hand, I do feel like it's accurate for how kids that age talked at that time. Yeah, it's, how a teen- it's what a teenager would have said in 2003. Mm. But... We're not reading it in 2003, no. and we have to read the text, and it's 20 years old, and it yeah. hasn't aged well. Um, but I just did. I just read it and went, ugh. It's base. It's toxic. Know? It's toxic masculinity, and it's homophobia. De- yeah, and it's deeply rooted homophobia, and it's using homophobia to demonize like vulnerability between ma- men, essentially. Yeah, like, that, and it's that's... and it, and I just read it and went, oh, Robert, like yeah. you're better than that. 
But again, I, like clearly he isn't though. Clearly he's not better than that. Well, and it's clearly like, he wasn't. And and this and I think the problem is he was capturing the speech patterns of a t- an, an American teenager in 2003, and that's probably what they would have said. But he was a grown ass adult who knew what he was doing at the time. But he was also a teenager in the, I assume, the late 90s. Well, I, I, I'm assuming, like, he was a teenager at some point well before, before 2003. That, yeah. So I think growing up with that and growing up in that era and being subject to all that, I think if, if this is the only reference to it, better than a lot of others that came out in that time it's, yeah it's that- and, and again you know we, we we really got into it with the the very deeply rooted homophobia in the boys yes and i think that was a more egregious example because it there, there was this sort of defined and insidious homophobia there where there were actual gay characters that were portrayed as being less than because they were gay but still shit yes still shit and with the boys as well call it as you see it it's still shit with the boys as well they were all terrible characters so uh, it might it may be a hit's different that mark is like the the nice protagonist and he's using that language yeah absolutely absolutely mm. and it just it didn't need to be there he he could have said this is so lame and it would have mm. had the same effect it just didn't need to be there the main point though if you to take away from this podcast is it's not gay to carry the homies while flying no, that's, I mean, and you know what? Even if it is gay, that's good. Mm. Even if there are some homosexual undertones to you carrying the homie while you're flying and you have a little smooch afterwards, that's fucking A triple plus golden. That's good stuff. There are some great jokes, I think. From... I had my thumb up for the if, listener. For I had the... my thumb up for that the duration <laughs> of that entire utterance. A-okay. The, um, it has led to some great jokes from Robot Chicken, because they do a lot of Subaru stuff, and yeah. how Batman's the only one who can't fly of the Justice League. <laughs> so he's like, I could carry you. And Batman's like, I won't be carried. And that, at least that, kind of plays more to like just general vulnerability. Yes. Like Batman wouldn't be carried. But then what happens is, Green Lantern's like, well, I could take you in this a bubble, like in a green bubble. And he's like, I don't want to ride a bubble. It's like, well, what else could I make to carry you in? And he makes him a little sailboat, and it turns into like a... You've told along. me this story on the podcast, right? I'll probably keep mentioning it because it's so good. I might as well link it in the episode description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've talked about this on the pod. We've talked about this on air. Mm. But I did make the very note, the specific note, very 2003. Very 2003. Yeah. But it just, again, though, and we've talked about this, and, and, I, and I think we're going to have to keep talking about this. I have complicated feelings about retroactively um, applying current standards to older texts mm. because stuff is inherently rooted in the time it was made and people's opinions were different but i don't think that means we shouldn't hold people accountable for things that they said yeah but also do i want to would would would, would i prefer to for the image to edit um any future printings or any online digital versions of this comic to take that out well no because this mm. is what was on the page when it was written and that's important yeah to to hide it would to act to act like it never happened which yes. I think is more insulting than exactly yeah. exactly and so i think i think i think it's powerful for this stuff to exist in whatever form it exists in but it doesn't make it any less sort of annoying to read so I, this isn't an excuse or anything, but it does feel very noteworthy for what we're talking about in this mm. comic. And I'm recalling information from when I read it however many years ago. Yeah. I'm fairly certain that the character William, his friend, uh, does turn out to be gay. Oh, and, okay. And I think as well, the reveal of it, he's definitely in the closet at this point. I think the reveal of it is like intentionally underplayed. Like oh. it's, it just kind of, dis- and Mark's like, oh, you're gay. Okay, then. Like, and then it's just moved on. 
So I, I again, I'm recalling that. I if I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm almost certain that is what they do in the comic. Uh, they have the character William is just gay from the start in the TV show. Oh, He's, okay, interesting. And again, that is the modernization of it. So they kind of had to. So when did the TV? Because we're coming up to season two. When did they start the TV show? It was either last year or the year before. Like, oh, it, so it's really I, recent. Yeah, I think it got kind of delayed with the pandemic. Like I right. think the first because the animation is the bit that takes the longest. Yeah. I think the animation they did it pre-pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, this is going to delay season two, even though season one hadn't even come out yet. But they're like, this is going to delay season two because we can't get people to start animating it yet. The production cycles on that stuff are wild, aren't they? And when you look like you saw the animation. It's well animated. Yeah, you saw the animation style in that clip. and Very reminiscent it, of early 2000s DC and Marvel cartoons. Yes, exactly. Really reminiscent of that stuff. But even like even more detailed and crisper, like again, what we're saying with the, the, the actual comic book, Cartoon animation has come a long way since then as well. One thing we yeah, definitely... Yeah, I mean, digital technology has changed the way that stuff is animated massively. Mm. One thing time. we definitely have to watch at some point, I want to get your view on this, like, it's considered the greatest animation ever, uh, an anime called Akira. Have you seen it? I've seen bits of Akira, yeah. The animation is, like, blows you away. For how long ago it was made, it's amazing. And also, it real the people realise, we can't keep doing this because it's so difficult to make. Yeah, I mean, Akira was hand-drawn, wasn't it? Yes, uh, but to such detail, to painstaking detail. I, I think it's fair to say the only reason it was possible to make to the level that it was was because of the toxic workplace culture in Japan. Like, yeah. people were living in the studio. You don't leave until your boss it. leaves, and if he wants to go for a drink, you follow him and you pour his fucking drink for him. Like, it's real grim over there, isn't it? Exactly, and yeah. I, I think that's why you don't get the level of Akira animes <laughs> anymore. Yeah. But, Which is interesting because Japanese animation is generally regarded to be less detailed than Western animation. They have a lower frame rate. Um, so they animate to a lower frame rate in Japan in mm. general. And so it's so interesting that the what's held up to be the pinnacle is from that environment mm. where the animation... I mean, obviously, Japanese animation is very special and it's really cool. Um, but they tend, to, they tend to animate to a lower frame rate and that just physically means there are less drawings per second. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Speaking of um, uh, anime animation, I uh, saw another video by Matt with four T's. He did another. Are we? Is this just plagiarism at this point? I mean, go watch the video. Like, <laughs> it's a really in-depth one of how Junji Ito's um, work is so terrifying. Like yeah. how it works, and I won't go into it because it's like six points, and they're all really interesting. Yeah. But one point from it, which I think you'll appreciate, is uh noticing and i didn't notice this until he pointed out in the video so again yeah. worth watching for the examples alone he pointed out that in animes the protagonists are normally simpler drawn mm. so like very simple like eyes nose mouth yeah everyone else is far more detailed and the reason is is because the simpler a character looks the easier it is to subconsciously put yourself in the shoes of the character and that's why the antagonists are more detailed looking because then they are everything else in the world. Yeah. And I literally never noticed that. And as Susie pointed out, I thought of every anime I've ever seen. I thought, yeah, that's 100% true. The only one I think that doesn't apply to is, um, is like Pokemon, where all the characters are that simple style because they're all like pretty good characters. Yes. Although in the video game, they made the protagonist silent. And that's the same thing. It, it works in the same way. With the express desire of making it so that you would really identify with him. The nameless, yeah. faceless characters yeah. you are your surrogate in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm thinking Naruto. I'm thinking One Piece. Mm. Dragon Ball is a good one for that because Goku has a pretty simple face and everyone else is extra detailed. Particularly Kid Goku. 
And even, yeah. And, and particularly kid Goku. And it carries on into adult Goku as well. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. And now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, even um, Luffy in One Piece. Exactly. He has a much rounder, simpler face than the whole rest of the ensemble. If you could hear me grimace in that, it's because my cat jumped on me and dug her claws into my leg. Standard podcast fare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> normal stuff. So I think that's as much as we can say about yeah. the two first volumes of Invincible. Highly uh, recommend it. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely would like be interested to talk about more of it at some point. I know it's like a pretty long dead franchise now, isn't it? But well, the, the cartoon might give us an opportunity. You never know. I mean, there's going to be more seasons. So we'll uh, maybe we uh, maybe if the series comes out weekly, which I think it does. Yeah. I'm not sure I'll have to double check, but if it does come out weekly, maybe we'll do one for the finale. We'll do another two volumes for the finale and just like touch back on it again. Yeah. Mm. Um, so if anyone remembers the costume competition from Spooky Season, that's <laughs> ongoing. Um, so get your entries in. And then, yes, thank you so much for listening. If you want to see more of us, we Ryan masterfully edits some of this into shorts on YouTube and TikTok. They're fun. Comic Literate, you'll find us there. Sometimes the algorithm actually works in our favor. Yeah, occasionally they show them to people. <laughs> um, if you want to send us an email, comicliterate.gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.